Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silberman. And I'm Jane Crosby, and I'm thrilled about this week's interview with Kelly Nye from HCA Healthcare. She's done a lot of great work to implement really strong marketing strategies across a really a national healthcare brand. So I'm, I'm excited to share her insights with, with all of you who are joining us again. Uh, so Kelly's the VP of Digital Strategy and Development at HCA, and it really is this kind of great window into the case study of building a national scalable marketing organization. I was thinking about the, the M&A climate in the healthcare arena, and so many of us and so many of the individuals in our audience kind of find themselves part of a larger organization or becoming a larger organization through acquisition. And I think it really is timely to be thinking about scalability of our efforts as content marketers and how to make those those really effective. Yeah, and HCA takes a really interesting approach, I think, because Kelly talked a lot about standardization and how important it is to scale different initiatives across their entire organization, but she doesn't let that kill personality and localization in their efforts, too. I think she simply thinks about how to take an idea that a single marketer has and try to leverage that across other markets as well so that they're scaling individual ideas to be used as broadly as they can. And I'm sure whether you're a national or regional healthcare brand, that idea of scaling ideas that are local yet standard is really important as you think about decreased budgets in 2021 and how you continue to be more efficient as a marketing function. That's right. And one of the things that I thought was really kind of fun and interesting to to hear about and think about is that idea of scalability and kind of taking good ideas and rolling them out, you know, full scale, that's kind of one piece of the puzzle. But also, the ability to right size that effort to where it makes sense, like scalability doesn't necessarily mean for health systems marketing efforts that everything has to be uniform as much as it means that you have to be able to achieve some economy of scale in its translatability to wherever it makes sense. And the, and the real kind of natural realization that that probably isn't always everywhere. I thought that was, I thought that was fun. Yeah. You pointed out, Jane, one of the kind of translations of this effort to making it effective in building a network of partners or vendors. And, and, and I was so glad that you, you keyed on, on, on this in, in our interview. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so years ago, I think when Kelly first started at HCA, she, as she talks about, she was faced with the challenge of salespeople like me probably calling her every single day and emailing her all the time to talk about new solutions and new ways to approach service line campaigns or content marketing or whatever it might be. And so she implemented really a Shark Tank-like model for those of you familiar with the show, where she would give vendors 30 minutes of time to give their sales pitch and file that information away should they need it now or, or in the future. And I think HCA takes a really kind of unique point of view on their vendor relationships. And I like what Kelly talked about in treating the vendors that they choose to work with as true partners. I think that adds so much to healthcare organizations because as vendor partners in this space, we work with so many healthcare organizations and most of us are genuinely interested in how we help our clients achieve better outcomes and using less resources to do it. And so in treating your vendors like a partner, they are going to help you and they are going to add value. And I think that's really important and something that has probably helped in the success HCA has had in building a really successful national organization. Absolutely. 
one of the things that, that Kelly talked about in, in our interview was kind of the various disciplines of, of application in terms of the, the digital transformation and marketing of the organization. And that, that really touched so many areas of the business. I, I thought it was interesting to hear about what we read a lot about and hear from other individuals is kind of the growing role in strategy and leadership for healthcare organizations because of marketing's ability to impact so many aspects of the business, the strategic targeting, the patient experience, how the data is utilized to make sure that you're creating a uniform connectivity across uh, how, how you're reaching uh, consumers and, and individuals. And it was encouraging, I think, to see a good demonstration of just how that footprint is manifest at one of the nation's kind of largest healthcare providers. Yeah, I agree. It's been interesting to see how the view of marketing from leadership has evolved over the years. And I'm, I don't, we didn't talk about this a ton with Kelly, but I'm sure it's been kind of a focal point for them and helping leadership understand the value that they're bringing to an organization. I think in the past, seeing that an organization was doing a print publication or that a doctor's face was on a billboard was what leadership saw as successful marketing. But today we're talking to a lot of C-suite leaders who are asking really intelligent questions about how campaigns are performing, what cost per lead means, and really starting to buy into marketing's role. And so I think sharing that information and sharing more about your strategic approach is, is really key. And I think HCA has done a good job of that too. Well, we hope all of those of you listening have as much fun hearing from Kelly Nye as we did. Let's jump into the interview with Kelly Nye, uh, VP of Digital Strategy and Development at HCA. Kelly Nye, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're really, we're really excited. So, so we've got to talk a little bit ahead of time. You're in at HCA, Hospital Corporation of America, and your oversight really is connecting a lot of different initiatives at, at the organization. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that as an opener. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to. It's been a really interesting role for me. I've been in my current role for about two years now and have the opportunity to look across the departments, look across our matrix to identify how digital transformation can really impact more broadly for the company. So I, I like to acknowledge it as kind of sitting in the middle of our IT partners, our CRM partners, our branding and marketing teams, and helping them connect the dots and interweave digital into all that we're doing and thinking about. That's excellent. And so when you think about the interconnectivity of, of all those pieces, maybe share with us some of the kind of favorite things you've gotten to work on in, in that regard this year. Oh, this year has been really interesting. Uh, so we've What's been fascinating about 2020 and with COVID is it's honestly accelerated digital adoption. Some say five times, some say eight times. I mean, pick your number, but it's truly been an accelerant. And so I think some of the most exciting things that I've gotten to, to witness is how quickly we've stood things up. I mean, we did not have virtual care in all of our practices or within our urgent care centers, and we now have virtual access points across 6,000 of our care settings. We've set up chatbot functionality on our websites to allow people to get quick answers about COVID and other healthcare concerns so that we are really maximizing our time spent on the phone. We're getting them, you know, building confidence and comfort and in, in getting them the right level of information versus using Dr. Google. That's been super exciting. 
And I think it's been really fun to see our shift even in the marketing space. We've had to get really creative this year when we had budget cuts and faced cutting a lot of our paid media. So seeing how creative our teams have gotten in social especially has been really fun. And just how we've used our own channels of email and web to really engage our audiences and again, help them build confidence in their healthcare system and get the information they need quickly. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the chatbot piece in particular, and, and we may be able to unpack pack some of the other ones too. But you know, when I think about chatbots, most of my experience is in that kind of sales transactional environment. But it sounds like you're using yeah. chatbots in a in a really meaningful health education way. Tell us about the success there and how consumers are responding. Yeah, it was really interesting because the CDC put up a a thought around, do you or don't you have COVID or how at risk are you? And we felt that we were doing a disservice to our patients by not offering a level of, of comfort there as well, level of information, but more so we are finding our operations were getting slammed by phone calls. So we had kind of this twofold challenge and we really wanted to ease the burden on our contact centers that were just getting calls for people who really weren't at a high risk or high exposure. And so we created a really simple branch logic triage bot that followed CDC guidelines and just helped navigate patients through their, their level of risk. And at the end, it pointed them to the right next action. Should you just stay home and monitor symptoms, call our contact center, a nurse will triage you accordingly, or we believe you should be seen with a physician within the next 24, 48 hours. So we weren't diagnosing people, <laughs> to be clear, but we were just trying to guide them to the next most logical place. Seeing the success of that, it, it helped ease the burden in our contact centers and it helped get people to the right place. We actually instituted two more bots. We did a financial services one. So helping people navigate when they were losing their insurance coverage. And then we also did one around plasma. So we were part of the covalescent plasma exchange that, was trying, that they were using as a, as a treatment for COVID. And so we were also taking people through whether or not they qualified for a plasma program. So we found great success. We're continuing to think about how we leverage that technology moving forward. That's really interesting. And congratulations on being able to kind of roll those, those three bots out this year. It's a unique use case, I think. And, and it sounds, sounds good. You know, you, you mentioned the kind of digital accelerant of 2020. And I think you know, Jane and I have talked about, about this uh, quite a bit in terms of what it has meant for business and, and being in the business of, of healthcare, obviously from a consumer facing standpoint, there's a tremendous amount of change in 2020 there in the healthcare space. But what about your professional life and how you're interacting with colleagues? Have you seen the same accelerant effect that, that we have on the agency side in the operational side too? Yeah, it's that's been very fascinating to watch. We've had technologies like chat and teams for Microsoft and WebEx and all the things and people were using them. Either people were high, high, high adopters or people forgot that they existed. And we've seen those people that forgot they existed really accelerate in using them. And I've actually found that our communications and amount of interaction I've had with certain team members has, has grown. Relationships have actually been built through this, which has been really unexpected. So really have enjoyed that, have enjoyed using technology to our advantage. Love that people have kind of taken down the barriers a little bit and are willing to get on Zoom, even if they have a ball cap on. I just think we've gotten an opportunity to see into, literally into people's homes and into their lives in a way that we 
don't necessarily get in the office. So while I, I really miss going into the office and sitting across from my colleagues, I think this has been a really interesting interesting time in human nature for us to t test out technology and feel really comfortable with it. So I've enjoyed that. I think we're, we're all anxious to get back to a level of normalcy, but hopefully we'll carry forward some of these, some of this engagement through technology, even after we're, we're back in the office every day. It's really interesting feedback. And I think we've heard, we've felt the same in our interactions with our partner clients across the country normally. And, and when COVID first started, I was really fearful that we'd lose some of that connectivity without being able to travel and sit down face to face and share a meal. But then people started joining video and we had their kids yelling in the background and they were trying to teach first grade at the same time. And I feel like my relationships with clients have strengthened because of it. Have you felt the same about your vendor partners as you do your internal team too? For sure. I think vendor partners are in a really difficult and unique spot right now because I agree with you. Relationships are built over meals. They're, they're built off the five minutes before the meeting and the 10 minutes after. And all of that is, is gone. So, But what I think has been gained is just this everyone has to put their guard down a little bit because there are dogs barking and there's kids screaming and you feel compelled and pulled in five different directions at all times. So I'm sure that has helped build relationships. It has with some of our vendors. And honestly, I've gotten much more comfortable just calling people on a whim and saying, hey, I need this, I need this help quick. And the way my vendor partners have pulled through over the course of this time has been, has been awesome. So I've leaned in heavily to those relationships and intend that that will continue. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And it's been a really welcome change where before you'd get an email and you'd maybe set up time two days later to talk, but I get more just direct phone calls or text messages saying, hey, do you have five minutes than I ever have before? And it's really nice. And I hope that helps create more agile and nimble vendor client relationships too, because I think sometimes we're missing that in this space. And it, that's been really important, especially in 2020, as we have to kind of respond to things on a dime. And for you guys, I'm sure it's been even more challenging. You're obviously one of the biggest and most diverse in your footprint healthcare organizations in the country. What helped you respond so quickly and implement things like chatbots really immediately as, as the pandemic started this year? We got really focused. I think that was the biggest, biggest change for us as an organization. Instead of saying we're going to work on 50 projects, we said, these are the three we need to focus on. We need everybody on them and we're going to get them done in a week. And that was a massive shift for us. So we have huge processes that go into how we're prioritizing our work for the next quarter, for the next six months. And all of that stopped. And we simply said, what's most meaningful to our patients? What's most meaningful to our business? All hands on deck. And we did stand-ups every morning at 7.30 for 15 minutes to keep projects on track. We weren't doing that before, you know, two weeks could go by between project updates in the past. So no more of that. It was every single day, a ton of communication. So just constantly on teams, constantly in, in email and on the phone to ensure things are moving forward. So, but I think the biggest change is focus. No, we can't do everything everyone wants to do. We have to do these top three and then we'll move to the next three and the next three. But without that focus, we wouldn't have got these major initiatives out the way we did. 
That makes sense. And as you think about where you're headed from here, and I, I know for a lot of our other clients and health systems across the country, they're now dealing with the second wave of COVID cases and also trying to accomplish their growth initiatives and engagement initiatives throughout next year. Do you think you'll go back to that time where you're working on 50 projects and meeting every two weeks? Or do you think going forward, you'll adopt some kind of hybrid model for project management? I think we've, I, I think we've passed the threshold and we'll adopt this new model. And even the way we've organized as a as an organization has changed. So we've broken down kind of barriers across the matrix and created collaborative teams that are sitting together to get things done as well. And I don't anticipate that going going back and redispersing. We've moved budgets to be in one house versus five. That's made an enormous difference in how we're prioritizing and making decisions. So the intent is that that will continue. And I think if we maintain this level of focus and continue to pressure test if we are in fact doing the right things, we will we will accelerate our own digital transformation light years ahead of where we would have initially been able to do. I agree. I've always felt like HCA more so than a number of the other really large national health systems. You have such an organized approach to how you create digital experiences in each of your markets. One of the things that I think is cool is your Shark Tank platform and the relationships <laughs> that you have with vendors. Would you mind sharing a little bit about kind of your vendor selection process? What's most important to you and how you maintain really strong relationships over time? Yeah, so when I first started with HC, I was over vendor strategy. And early on in my tenure at HC, I went to South by Southwest and I sat through some of their pitches and I thought, well, this is really cool. These people get five to 10 minutes to pitch their idea and then people make a decision on how they want to move forward. And I was getting 30 cold calls a day, it felt like from vendors. And I was like, I don't know how to sort through the good, the bad, the ugly, and I don't have time for 30 to hour long pitches. So I set up this idea of Shark Tank. You have 10 minutes to pitch me your company. I would do three to six every other week or something like that and just started plucking through these. And honestly, we found some great vendors out of it. I don't oversee that part of our organization anymore, but I think they're still doing something similar. It's just an easier way for us to, it gives you more as a vendor, more than just an email pitch, but we don't take up an entire hour of time listening to something that may not be valuable to us. So I think it's a happy medium. That being said, I think as we've worked towards identifying new vendors moving forward, the most critical thing I found is just actually knowing what our business requirements are. Sometimes we get way, way, way too far down the line and that isn't well established and we're, we've wasted vendors time, we've wasted our own time. So we've really worked hard at getting a lot more crisp on what we're trying to accomplish looking to our current vendor set first to see, hey, is there a way they can maybe accomplish this for us, but not being afraid to go out and look. Still, I, I think HCA appreciates the best of breed model. We love leveraging vendor relationships that we have, but we're big enough to do a best of breed model because we can manage multiple relationships. So that's how we go about kind of refining and finding them. We've also really grown relationships across our company. I've identified folks in procurement that can help me out. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to negotiate on price with someone that I'm going to be having a relationship with. It's just not a great way to start off a relationship fighting about dollars and cents. So I've really appreciated procurement's role in that part of it so that I can focus on making sure it's a right fit from a relationship perspective and then building from there. 
As far as how we manage relationships, we put in a process several years ago that we call quarterly business reviews or QBRs. And we're very clear with vendors what criteria we're measuring them on. And so that we all walk into those with the same expectations, we allow the vendors to rate themselves. And then we get 360 degree feedback from our market, our markets, as well as corporate stakeholders to round that out. And then we, we do a readout to our vendors and we discuss. And then during that, we have an opportunity to hit on the highs and also talk about some of the pain points and find solutions for them. So I think that's really accelerated our partnerships and, and it's identified some great opportunities for us along the way. And, and we really value our vendor partners. So I think, I think putting that much rigor behind how we're managing those relationships also shows that. Really good stuff. And the, and the QBR model, I think, is, is really valuable. You know, it, it kind of leads me to a question about managing a national organization and how your, you know, implementation across five disciplines at the corporate level, that's a pretty monumental task. But then you distribute that across the entire country at a, you know, at least partially decentralized market level. Talk to us about kind of how you view the mandate and and just how to get it all done in terms of the national footprint. Yeah, it's, I think we kind of we do it two ways. There's projects and transformative initiatives that are really led and distributed from the corporate level and we have to spend a ton of time socializing that. And I, and, and I will say I was in sales for 10 years and I still have to use my sales tactics every day. And I'm going out there and explaining and essentially pitching something that corporate is going to do and offer, but why does that matter to your market? Why should you care about this? Why should you help me distribute this through your, your organization? And so we spend a lot of time socializing that and, and crafting that story to be meaningful for the local market. For things that are identified at the market level, we were finding we were being incredibly inefficient because we would have 10 of our 14 markets all deploying an orthopedics campaign that looked very similar. And they were each going after their own creative and their own agency. And you go down the list and we were spending probably 10 times more than we needed to spend. And so what we, how we've pivoted that is we, when we identify a need or a strategy that's common across multiple markets, we ask some of our market partners to collaborate, get in a group, work on the strategy and the creative brief, identify the agency, and work on creating something that's actually scalable to the enterprise. So, and in that sense, they're involved and they're making the decisions and they're crafting the solution. So we haven't taken away their autonomy. We've just said, you've got to think about it on a bigger level. Because at the end of the day, there's not, not a lot of differences from market to market as to how we have to communicate to patients about certain service lines or care settings. The, the differences are few and far between. So we really have to get more mindful about how we're, how we're collaborating across our markets to, to make the most bang for our buck. You know, maybe just to, to follow on that, that thread for just a second about the kind of opportunities for standardization. And, you know, in, in my experience, I've seen exactly what you said, which is, you know, some, some great similarities across markets. But, but it seems to me also that there are some service lines that, that maybe do beg differentiation or at least have market level dynamics. Or, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is kind of 
bariatric care path is often less standard from market to market than say an orthopedic care path. And I don't know that the same is true yeah. today, but, but I'm, I'm curious kind of, are there areas where you flex that or have you been able to, to really kind of pull some standardization universally that maybe we could all learn from? So I'll give one example of where standardization with localization has come to life and I think been really effective for us. It's in our web strategy. So we've been working for the last two and a half years on updating our web content and especially our services content and also consolidating our web footprint. We manage a thousand patient facing websites. That's a lot of websites. It's very unruly and it's not over... It's not overly effective for us because now we've scattered, you know, people accessing our websites across so many properties. So we identified a while ago that we had an opportunity to start consolidating, where we have a market brand consolidating our websites down to one website. So in multiple markets, we have, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18 different facilities that each have their own website. We started consolidating those down. In those markets, we would then lead with a content page that was focused on cardiology. What is, what's offered in cardiac services across this market or these 14 facilities? So someone could you know, go there, because frankly, that's not very different from web to web, sure. website to website. So, but once a user is there, well, then they identify, well, I do need cardiac care and I either have a specific need or I want to go to this facility, but they can navigate either to a facility and learn more about the unique services offered at the facility. They can start to compare within our network. They can look for physicians of service across those facilities. So instead of us risking me coming to website, HCA healthcare website A, and now finding what I need, bouncing and going to a competitor, now we've created this environment where we've offered them this local capability, but we've kept up with the, the framework of our system. And that's been wildly effective for us. We're getting more traffic to our sites. We're getting higher conversions. We're keeping people in our network, which is awesome. But there's still local nuance. You bring up bariatrics as one. We get a lot of requests around bariatrics, actually, for kind of unique capabilities. A lot of digital tools people want, whether that's to offer webinars online, to offer more chat with a nurse, to offer support groups and that type of thing online. And what we do with those is we just intake them, understand the business need. And then frankly, we identify, are there others that actually have this need? Sure. And more times than not, there are, and then we can scale it by nature. Right. So it's, we try to come at it at multiple angles and it, it's worked well for us. Sometimes we have to say no, which isn't what anybody wants to hear, but generally speaking, if it, if it has scalability, we're gonna pursue it. Well, and I think you you point out a really important point, which is scalability does not necessarily mean one size fits all. It, there are layers of that, right? There may be a one Correct. size fits all, but, but there's also opportunities to look at kind of microcosms of that that can be valuable to the enterprise and the individual markets. And thinking about the consumer experience brings me back to, to something that I asked you about before we started today, which was kind of how digital transformation is manifest in the CRM space. And I'll tell you, when I, when, I, when I brought it up, I was thinking about the marketing and outreach piece, but you, you have a really interesting point of view on, on the opportunity there. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing in the CRM space. Yeah, we think about CRM, we think about it in its traditional modes of marketing, how do we do targeted marketing, and then also just how we're managing relationships through our national contact centers. 
I think where the opportunity exists is CRM is really just a bulbous of data. And it allows us to be a lot more personalized in our communications and our interactions with our patients. So I would love to see how our CRM could evolve to be more centered around messaging, right message, right person, right time, but across a lot more varieties, not just you know, targeted marketing, but how are we sending push notifications through our app in a more personalized and timely manner? How are we leveraging uh, email better? How are we leveraging text? How are we, when is the right time to place a phone call? Yeah, that's still necessary. People still want to talk to people about healthcare. It's very, it's, it's a high anxiety time for most folks. So when is the right time for the phone call? So getting a lot more pinpoint and nuanced with our, our CRM capabilities and frankly, broadening the scope and and the, the definition behind it. I think we've, we try to get a little too narrow with our definition, which means we end up focusing just on our contact centers or just on our targeted marketing versus thinking about it at the 30,000 foot level, which is where I believe the opportunity really exists. Yeah, I think it's a really great great perspective and, and the way that you're thinking about the care delivery improvement side of, of CRM, I think you know really does, does connect back to this evolution of patient experience driven in part by the circumstances of 2020, but, but then also driven in part by how do we continue to drive great experiences, not just, just great outcomes. And, and I think that's really exciting work to be, to be doing. Yeah, we've got a, some great programs coming out of our, our ER. We've learned from patients that you go to, I go to the ER and then I leave and I never hear from you again. You know, I was clearly sick or injured or something. There's an opportunity to build a relationship coming out of that experience, both just in the, hey, how you doing? Are you feeling better? If not, call our contact center and we can triage you appropriately or getting you to the next logical care setting. So if I twisted my ankle and now I need x-rays and I need to go see an orthopedist, make that connect the dots for me. Don't make it hard for me. You know, Send me a link that allows me to just schedule an appointment online. So those are the things we're really thinking about so that we can, you know, help people navigate more seamlessly, reduce the friction for them, but also, and then of course, there's benefit to us as an organization in that and keeping people in system. And I love the kind of, oftentimes we think about consumer experience as different somehow than, than patient experience. And, and the idea that that lives in a mutually exclusive environment to the business objectives of the organization. And it certainly doesn't, right? Th- those, those three things are all part of the same fabric if we can approach them, approach them really well. So I think 100%. It's, it's great. That's a great point. So, you know, kind of zooming, zooming back out a minute, I'm, I'm interested in this kind of business experience of 2020 and how and the carry forward of that you know you you mentioned in some of your earlier comments that there's some carry forward from both how you've organized your priorities as an organization how you interact with teams i'm personally super excited about the carry forward and one of the things that that is really central to me in our business is the distributed work environment you know we're we're a business that has been historically located in a, in a single city with, you know, kind of some of us in, in satellite environments. And, and that's still largely, largely the case. As we kind of carry forward, you know, we're working fully remote for the foreseeable future. And I'm excited for what that means in terms of growing the team. 
And you have a national footprint organization that's always been fully distributed, or does this create some new opportunities for your organization as well, as you think about how workforce is distributed into the future? I think it definitely is opening doors to us. We've had challenges, even in Nashville, which is a sizable town. Our, well, our challenge has been so many companies are coming here. We are fighting for talent all the time. And so I get very excited about the fact that now can we start to look more broadly for that talent because we don't need them to come into the office every day. We've gotten really comfortable with technology. We've gotten really comfortable with managing from afar. I think about that. I haven't seen numbers of my team outside of, you know, on, on Zoom calls and, and FaceTime for months, some of them, and it's okay. And we're still, we're, we're operating at, at levels I, I never anticipated we could through an environment like this. So it's, I think it's proven itself. But I think that's what I'm most excited about is that, yes, we can have a more distributed model. We can be more comfortable with someone living outside of our, our region, our market, and know that we can get work done and be really productive with it while finding the talent that's going to help, you know, move our organization forward. And, and then we can start to compete more. And talent is hard to come by in Nashville sometimes. It's wild. Sure. Well, and I, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally get that. And, you know, for, for me at least personally, kind of working in, in healthcare over the last 18 years, you know, and I'm not necessarily reflecting on HCA here, but, but healthcare in general has had a lot of ground to gain in that distributed team management model. And, you know, like you, I haven't seen many of my colleagues in anything but 2D for, yeah. you know, <laughs> for eight months or so. The, 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 the in-person piece is gone. And that kind of access to the best talent and the most flexibility, you know, and the other side of that too, right? Like if you want to do this all from an RV while traveling to Wyoming or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just, and giving people the flexibility to, to run their lives. I, I, HCA is a very, HCA Healthcare is very, very friendly organization when it comes to work-life balance and, and dealing with life. But again, I think this has just opened things up to say, you're, you're going to get the work done. I mean, people have been very flexible with that, especially when, we're, you know, if we have kids in quarantine or you're trying to teach a toddler or something, it's just impossible to maybe get work done sometimes between the hours of noon and two. Okay, I'll work at eight. So I just think the level of flexibility and, and giving us the opportunity to breathe has been a welcome change as well. It takes a little bit of the stress off. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, so... Tell us about kind of some of the personal stuff, like your favorite blogs that you're following. You got any new podcasts for business that are just the best? You know, have you gotten to dust anything off the great business book shelf that, that you wouldn't have otherwise had time for since you're, you're not commuting anymore? Those, those sorts of things. Yeah, it's, well, it's funny. I, I don't get, I don't spend a lot of time on podcasts. It's sad, but when I'm driving, it's generally with my kids in the car and there's no way they're getting getting out of the music that they want and letting me listen to something that I want. So fortunately yeah. podcasts are not something I spend a ton of time with, but I do spend a ton of time reading. And I think that's critical. And I, I almost think of it on threefold. I, I love to read the Wall Street Journal and the skim and get some of the top news and just make sure I'm somewhat oriented to what's happening in our universe on, on the regular. Although it's pretty much COVID. It's pretty much COVID or politics. So, you know, there's... <laughs> changing there. But then I spend time obviously just in the healthcare space, 
a lot of time with Beckers and SG2 and, and we partner closely with McKinsey. So spending time with the research and, and things that they offer us, which is, you know, always gives us a glimpse into what's happening. But from a marketing lens, I spend a lot of time on, um, I love marketing land and convince and convert are probably the two blogs I spend the most time on. I feel like they just give me perspective. I like to go deep on certain subjects, but for the most part, I try to stay at that 20,000, 30,000 foot view, see the landscape, think about what's coming, which is also why I appreciate things like the Wall Street Journal, just that are helping. They have some great, if you're a member, they have just some great like technology downloads and, and really force you to think about things that are coming over in the horizon, which I like to try to stay on top of. I make it sound like I read 80 hours a week. That is also not the case. <laughs> I, I get as much of it in when I can, but so, some days are better than others. I agree. I think I think it's really important. I, I read a lot too. I don't listen to podcasts, definitely don't watch the news, <laughs> but I, I'm reading all the time. And I think it's really important as marketers that we do that because I, I do think it helps us think creatively too, even if it's just personal and fun reading, write well, think about, how to solve new problems in new and creative ways and have empathy too for our colleagues, which I think is really important as we're all remote and trying to connect with people who are culturally, geographically, or just from a life perspective in a different place than us. Yes. And that's, it's been fascinating because there's been so many articles about leading through change and leading through this type of environment. I've spent time consuming that as well, just because I think as leaders, we owe it to our teams to do that. And I think the most fascinating insight is it's been just be real. Don't try to act like everything's okay. Show, show your vulnerabilities and that will allow people to show theirs, you know, get to the core of how you can help them through this. That was a good kind of eye-opening thing for me that I, and it's been very consistent in everything I've read. So just going back to what we were talking about before, kind of letting the guard down has been almost a core theme of the pandemic that I hope people can continue to institute in their professional relationships because I think it's helping us be better people. Yeah, I agree. Authenticity has been something that I think is just so important this year and being confident in that too and just not being afraid to be ourselves and, and speak up and help each other out when we need it. We can sure. credit you with uh, inferring the term putting on your emotional ball cap based on what you're talking <laughs> about. So, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Of course, I wear a ball cap a lot, so this is very appropriate. <laughs> well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the chance to talk with you. This has been fun. Yeah, it has. Thank you for having me. I really, I really appreciate it and love that y'all are doing this. I think it's, even though I might not be the one listening to it, I know there are people out there that do and really appreciate this format of content. And, and I hope they took something away from this. Yeah, I was going to say, you and Jane, if you're looking for a new podcast, the Healthcare <laughs> Insight podcast is really very good. You know, you guys awesome. should try <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thanks we'll look again. into that. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly.